You're not crucifying people outside a church, not on Good Friday. What's the matter, Harold? Eric's been blown up. warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll soundly enjoy our programme. Welcome to Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. My name's Scott. With me, my co-host Stephen. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, we're in lockdown. It's bizarre. Um, It doesn't make a great deal of difference to me and you podcasting because we podcast over Skype anyway. But we were just sort of chatting off air, weren't we, about some of the difficulties and the, the things that we've sort of spotted over the last couple of weeks, and we've got a few more weeks of this to go. It's just a very bizarre situation. We, we, we agree on that. Absolutely, and you know, although it does provide a bit more opportunity in, in some respects for for watching the films and um, talking about them on podcast, due to as both being saved some travel time with regards to <laughs> to work, and it's still um, still is an incredibly strange situation um, to be in. Now we're in a, a double strange situation today because we're actually recording an episode that's going to be going out pretty, pretty much soon. Time, pretty much so which is why we can reference what's actually going on in the world <laughs> rather than usual saying, oh, well, you know, this in six months' time. Um, <laughs> well, we're recording this the 29th of March and this is going to go out on Good Friday, which is the 10th of April. There's a reason for that, isn't there? Is there is a very good reason for that. We've decided to sort of trawl through that seemingly never-ending list of British <laughs> Easter-themed movies. And we've come up with, obviously, The Long Good Friday, as the listener will be aware if they've downloaded this episode. Last year, it was Life of Brian. And we were joking, again, off-air just a minute ago, what are we going to do next year? We've got no idea. Um, uh, well, um, I think you know the, we'll we'll be open to um, listener suggestions. <laughs> Please, because we're struggling. I mean, yeah. The only thing you could come up with was the curse of the were rabbit. Yeah. Um, I spoke to Paul, my co-host on Stinking Paws, last night, and he suggested the cartoon called Hop. But I don't even know if that's British. Watership Down was a was a suggestion. Watership Down we mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we've got perhaps some chocolate-themed movies. Could we do Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, possibly? Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, this is it. This is where we're going on this, where we're sort of scraping a barrel. Yeah, but then again, people would say we were scraping the barrel with Life of Brian. Well, <laughs> no. But no, it's, it's probably the only British Easter movie, apart from this. These are the only two that we could find. So 
if anybody has got any ideas we're okay for halloween and christmas and things like that christmas ones are great they're they're bountiful you know and and british horror movies ten a penny but easter themed ones we're going to struggle yeah it's it's i mean you know we like we said about christmas that we wanted to avoid um just doing christmas carol stroke scrooge you know every <laughs> year yeah. and i think we've got that sorted for the next couple of years we've actually managed to to do a bit of a, a, a look at that and save ourselves and um easter isn't proving to be such a rich well <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> which is surprising because obviously you know, everybody everybody loves celebrating a holiday that moves in during the year but um <laughs> so yes we'll, we'll have to keep keep looking with that in mind we have selected the long good friday because the action does take place over Easter weekend in 1979-1980. As you are aware, I mentioned to you again that if you can judge how much you like a movie by the amount of times you've seen it, this is possibly my number one movie. (laughs) So let's take a little listen to the trailer and we're going to be back straight after this. just any Good Friday, but the long Good Friday. Outside of church? You don't go crucifying people outside of church, not on Good Friday. Harold Shand, undisputed king of London's underworld. Now he's setting up the biggest business deal of his career. Hands across the ocean, right? To the future. Someone is out to stop him. You think of anybody who might have an old score to settle us? Who's big enough to take you on? Someone, somewhere, knows. Right? I want the man who knows. Right. Who fancies what? Auto, casino, stabbing, a bar blowing up. What is this, a gang war? No, no question. Harold and I have no doubt that by tomorrow the problem will be settled. Walk to the car, Billy, or I'll blow your spine off. It's not a shooter, is it, Harold? Oh, don't be silly, Billy. When I come hunting for you with me fingers... I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption! One of my closest friends... He's lying out there in the freezer. And believe me, all of you, nobody goes home until I find out who done it. What should have been the greatest day of Harold's life suddenly becomes the longest. Suddenly, he's fighting for survival. You kidding? We got gang warnings, right? We already have. Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino, and you say nothing unusual. The Long Good Friday, a terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The Long Good Friday. 
Long Good Friday, released in the UK 1980, directed by John McKenzie, starring Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren, Kevin McNally's in there in a very brief appearance. You've also got Derek Thompson from Casualty, Brian Marshall, lots and lots of famous faces, Dave King, we may need to talk about him at some point. The synopsis is the late 1970s Cockney crime boss Harold Shand, Bob Hoskins, a gangster trying to become a legitimate property mogul, has big plans to get the American Mafia to bankroll his transformation of a derelict area of London into the possible venue for a future Olympic Games. However, a series of bombings targets his empire on the very weekend the Americans are in town. Shand is convinced there is a traitor in his organisation and sets out to eliminate the rat in typically ruthless fashion. You've seen this before, not as many times as I have, but you're quite familiar with this, I take it. Yeah, and like I said to you before, the um, I have seen it before, but I don't think I've seen it for about six years. Okay. I, I think you've seen it six times in the last six years. Uh, three. So, uh, <laughs> so um, uh, absolutely, there's not a reason why I haven't uh, watched it within that time, other than the usual thing we say, where we've just been distracted by watching... Um, things we haven't seen before, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and this this film, you know, can't I can't dance around and pretend that um, I've come to this film with the idea that um, I don't already appreciate it and and value it highly because it, it's stupid to try and pretend that it's not a great film um, <laughs> with massive amounts of merit in in lots of different ways. So. Yeah, I was very happy for us to, to revisit it. And, you know, when you, you're talking about performance, you're talking about the, the structure of the plot, um, you know, some of the cinematography, it, it all, you know, it's all there and exactly right. And although there were, you know, obviously we know from going back, back into the, the 40s and 50s and things, there was, you know, um, gangster films done. Yeah. This was, this was the, the prototype for the modern gangster film despite it having a lot of echoes of the the sort of um edward g robinson and and jimmy cagney yeah. um era gangster films from the states this was the first one that sort of combined the two elements the british gangster film um and the american gangster film into something that that, that modern british gangster films have kind of taken taken a piece of and run with but they've not taken the whole um, which is why I think this stands above pretty much anything that's been done, um, been done since. Yeah, Hoskins has actually got that Jimmy Cagney snarl, hasn't he, in this as well? In certain scenes, you look at him and you think, "Yeah, we we, we know where you got that from." It's, it's lucky we actually saw this movie at all. Do you know the history of the sort of background to the making of it? Yeah, I'm aware that it was Lou Grade, wasn't it? And uh, there was um, it managed to get picked up because he was going to either drop it or, or just release it yeah. massively cut on TV and, and so it got sort of rescued in order to get its proper hearing, as it were, by um, by Handmade. Yeah. I think that's, that's the basics, but I don't know yeah, well, more detail. Basically what happened, it wasn't made by Handmade Films, it was made by Euston, which was the right. offshoot of Thames TV, responsible for the Sweeney movies and sort of those hard-hitting cop sort of dramas that we used to. And it was originally going to be a TV movie, like a, a special, which, you know, very rare at the time to have this sort of feature-length, quite big production, just under a million-pound budget, uh, based on a script called The Paddy Factor, 
which will become apparent as we talk about the movie in a second. And what happened, Lou Grade, who was head of ATV at the time, saw it. It got screened at Cannes, it got screened at Glasgow and the London Film Festivals and things like that. So it did have sort of this little sort of cinema theatrical release in preparation. But when Lou Grade saw it, he was really disturbed that he thought it glorified the IRA. So there was a number of different versions and cuts were made, including, <laughs> quite surprisingly, all, all the references to the Irish element were taken out. So Bob Hoskins said it just made it a completely incomprehensible film, that version. And then for the American market, now you probably know this guy. Do you remember David Dacre? Yeah. Wasn't he in Boone? Yeah. 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 They got David Dacre to dub Bob Hoskins' voice with a Wolverhampton accent to make it more palatable for the American audience. <laughs> so there's there's these, all these different versions floating about. And eventually Bob Hoskins was at a party and bumped into Eric Idle. And he said, I'd love you to see this film. They're, 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 they're crucifying it. You know, I probably said that. I don't know. He said, they're, they're ruining this great movie. He said, can you just have a little look? Handmade films, who obviously he was sort of involved in, you know, with George Harrison and the Monty Python team. Yeah. Paid £700,000, I think it was. Just just 200000 short of what the budget was for the rights to distribute it. And that's how it happened. The film was made in 1979, literally as Maggie Thatcher came into power, and then released about a year later. And I'm sure you're going to highlight this, you know, the, the references to Thatcherism or the birth of Thatcherism is totally evident in this movie as well as a lot of prescience with regard to future olympic games and stuff like that yeah it was very lucky that we actually got to see the movie at all especially in this this form yeah it's it's you know there are a lot of elements in it that like you said there's the um that entrepreneur spirit the in in the beginning of entering the, the common market with Europe, so it makes a few references to, you yes, know, that, that, that minutes away home. from that massive yeah. market and, and stuff, you know, and uses that against the Americans in some way. At one point, he's using it to try and entice the Americans and then later on uses it to throw back at them. Um, <laughs> yes, why he doesn't need them. But, um, you know, it's also, um, this is in the, the midst of, of the IRA bombings and stuff, so there's that going on. There's a lot of elements in here that are, are very, very much part of the zeitgeist at the time, but without it dating it, um, which is, a, 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 I don't know how much of that is luck and how much of that is skill, mm. but it's amazing how um, these elements are all of the time without it meaning that um, you can't look back on it. You don't look back on it and go, oh, well, you know, that's, that's a, an old film and that's just... Um, it just seems um, out of date now. It, it still does sort of chime and work because of all the elements together, even though it has these little commentaries towards these and references towards things of the time. So um, it, it it's you know one of the areas where it's, it shows how well written it is, I think, and put together. Yeah, this is my first viewing since Brexit. And, and that really sort of struck home, that comment, you know, where he's on the boat at Tower Bridge and he's saying, we are a leading European nation. And I think, oh, blimey, it's a great portrait of, of a Britain that we remember well as, as kids. Uh, yeah. You know, as we say, approaching Thatcherism. And 
the sort of foreshadowing of what has happened over the last 30 years with regard to the redevelopment of the East End and the Olympic Games, I think it is a great little sort of historical piece. As, as, as much yeah. as I love it for the gangster side of things, I sort of watched it in a slightly different light yesterday. Bearing in mind it was, God knows what viewing this this was for me. I've, as I say, I've seen it so many times. And it's fascinating that a, a movie that I'm so familiar with could still make me sort of sit up and go, oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I was finding stuff in it this time around that I'd seen a thousand times before but not really paid particular attention to. For those that don't know the story, let's let's just briefly give a bit more than that synopsis. Bob Hoskins, former sort of violent criminal underworld leader, wants to go legit. He's brought in the American Mafia, although they're not referred to as the Mafia, very often they're referred to as biz- American businessmen, um, to help bankroll his dream of transforming London's Docklands into the venue for the 1988 Olympic Games. This is the bit that fascinates me, that how, how apt is that, how uncanny. That and, that and the um, development of the area as well, being um, a sort of premonition of the Canary Wharf and all that kind of stuff yeah. as well. Yep, it's the whole big business thing moving in, uh, Harold Chan trying to become legitimate, but it take, the action takes place over most of a bank holiday Easter weekend and members of his his organisation, his firm, are, are being blown up and stabbed. And, and there's just general confusion as to, you know, is it somebody trying to put the wind up him because they've got an idea that the money's coming in from the Americans? Is it a test of his power from the Americans? And... It just develops into this brutal, you know, the, the real Harold Chand comes to the fore here. You know, the businessman gets put aside and, and the thug inside him comes back out. And I absolutely love every part of this movie. It's it's great because it, it shows some initial scenes that don't have any context. Um, you don't even know who these people are, really. Yeah. And as then they that's kind of put aside, and it moves on to a completely you know concentrate on a different character, yeah. um, who is the central character. And those bits are kind of they're in the back of your mind, but they're, they're almost forgotten um, though, aren't they? I think. Yeah, they're put aside. Yeah. And it's only when it becomes relevant within his plot that those are brought back in. But it's only it's because you don't know who those people are by name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only when um, their absence or what's happened to them um, crops up in in the, the dialogue um, with the Bob Hoskins character that it, it it then draws you back into remembering really what because because of it being quite because the plot being quite involved there's there's a lot to hold your attention in, in itself um, with Bob Hoskins particularly you know not just because of his presence on screen but because of what's happening with his character yeah. The, those those other bits um they're you know they're they're relevant when it when they suddenly comes to the fore that they've and um, what's happened to them um it's you sort of sharing even though you've seen what happened you're sharing the revelation that he's feeling yes. um at, yeah. at discovering that they're, they've happened and there's a number of as you said there's there's a lot of micro expressions almost that are, are with 
Bob Hoskins mm. um, right up until the very end scene, yeah. um, especially the end scene. Oh, we'll come yeah. to that at some point, mm. um, be near the end. But um, the that that's how well I think told this story is, and then also shot that it brings those elements in 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 such a way that you do kind of forget until they're relevant again and then suddenly the enormity of what's what's happened is, is brought home oh, to you oh yeah funny enough i was talking to paul last night for a future stinking pause episode on of all things close encounters of the third kind now if you remember that starts off with different sort of unrelated or seemingly unrelated scenes you know the beginning of close encounters starts off with yeah. finding the airplanes in the mexican desert and you've got no idea what that the relevance of that is. Then we cut to a scene in India where somebody says that the sun came out and they were singing to him, and all the you know the people are chanting the the, the five tone tune, you know, and and that gets put at the back of your brain because you then go into the Richard Dreyfus story, and then you then realise that the bits with Bob Balaban and uh, Truffaut are all linked together, and that's what happens here. You get this scene at the beginning in Ireland. And at the beginning, you don't even know it's Ireland. That's the thing, do you? You see somebody getting off a boat and getting yeah. into a car, but you've got no idea where they are. Um, there's very, very little dialogue in that first couple of minutes. It's it's all visual. Um, and it tells the story that just sets up the background to the whole plot. And as you say, as Harold Chan, as Bob Hoskins, is discovering these little nuggets of information you're piecing it together yourself yeah and because it is a it is a bit of a whodunit it's a can you know it's 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 not the traditional gangster film where it's the rise to strength and then the fall this is he's already risen to strength this is just the fall but it's trying to work out where the the angle's coming from and absolutely you you left guessing yourself whether it is the Americans, whether it's somebody from within his organisation, whether it's somebody exterior, and so you're going through the the same emotions um, as he is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the whole frustration, the questioning, the, the doubt that is it somebody that I trust? Is it somebody that I've known for years? I just love it. I mean, you know, my love for things like the Sweeney and, and Minder and, and those typical sort of you know London-based TV shows. For me, as a 11-year-old when I first saw this, this was great. This meant everything. You know, it was a, it was a brutal... Well, it's quite violent. It's really violent for 1980 as well. Yeah. And I think that was something that didn't... Was it George Harrison that mm. commented on that, that he wouldn't have, you know, if he'd realised how violent it was, he wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been made by handmade. Oh, um, right. Because, okay. you know, he was uh, very much a, a peaceful... Um, man himself absolutely it's very visceral and its balance isn't over the top it, it's it's real um you know it's you know, it's over the top in 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 the sense that um that's not the kind of balance that you know somebody who wasn't some kind of sociopath psychopath would would, would do but it's not it's not shown in um an over the top the way and it's not it, it's not made to be grandiose either um, in that sense, it's not celebrated. It's it's got the grit to it, and I think that is is important to actually make you feel how real this situation is. Well, the thing with this movie as well, it doesn't rely on the violence to tell the story. The acting does all the hard work here. 
because you have oh yeah you've got some solid performances from all of the leads and even some of the minor characters as well i think it's yeah. a career best for for Mirren and hoskins yeah i think there's absolutely it's littered through i can't think of a poor performance in the entire thing and um you know that it's it's got a lot of people in it that we recognize from other things but this is still standing out for for them as far as their careers go you know whether that's somebody of Ellen Mirren's um, level and Bob Hoskins or whether it is mm. the people who later on got more fame from being in Only Fools and Horses or whatever. Yeah. Um, that, it, you know, it, I think the violence, the violence is like punctuation in there. It's 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 commas and, and full stops and, and and that kind of thing to, to just um, put around what's going on. It's not, it's not the focal point. Um, the very much is the the dialogue, which is some you know some witty lines in the dialogue. That's not you know state that, but lines in this. <laughs> um, and it's quite quotable in a lot of ways uh, as well. I'll tell you something. I'm glad I found out in time just what a partnership with a pair of wankers like you would have been. A sleeping partner's one thing, but you're in a fucking coma. No wonder you got an energy crisis your side of the water. Fast British. We used to have a bit more vitality, imagination, chatting a Dunkirk spirit, know what I mean? The days when Yanks could come over here and buy up Nelson's column and an Arley Street surgeon and a couple of windmill girls are definitely over. Now look, shut up, you long streak of paralysed piss. What I'm looking for is someone who can contribute to what England has given to the world. Culture, sophistication, genius. A little bit more than an hot dog, know what I mean? We're in the common market now. And my new deal is with Europe. I'm going into partnership with a German organization. Yeah, the Krauts. They've got ambition, know-how. And they don't lose their bottle. The mafia, <laughs> I've shit them. Absolutely, the, the strength of it, it is, is the the entirety of the plot as well as the you know some great way that the individual scenes are working, but the great ways in which, um, the shot as well, you know when he's on, when he's closer to the edge of of the you know things unraveling, mm. and he's getting to the stage where he's realizing who he can't trust and things, and. He's there on the boat, and the, you know the car you see drawing up through the window behind yes. him when he's, you know, yeah. and although that would seem quite a simple shot to be to be doing, that seems like you know film school one hundred and one, but in actual fact, the the way that's been been done feels like it's 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 creative and and actually making an incredibly good use of of the uh, cinematography in that sense. So it's it's a great film in so many details, but the acting as well, though, you're absolutely right, the performances and the people who are in this, just each of them shines. And although Bob Hoskins um, does shine out more than anybody else because he is the central character mm. for all of this, yeah. I don't feel that he, he overshines anybody else in their performances. It's the... Um... It's that side of things, like you say, certain parts of the cinematography 
and in particular the performances that actually elevate this above a TV movie level. It is a, it is a cinematic movie in every respect. You mentioned briefly, let's get this out of the way because I don't think there'll be many inductees into the Village Hall of Fame this week, but you mentioned a lot of familiar faces. Have we got anybody actually going into the Hall of Fame at all? We have. Oh, okay. I mean, we've got somebody making their fifth appearance, who, who's um, a, a more of an extra in this, I think, I think, which is Harry Fielder. Harry Fielder, um, okay. Uh, I don't recognise the name. Yeah. Let me have a look. Well, he was in uh, Eagle Has Landed, Sweeney, Quadrophenia, uh, Dance of a Stranger, and then in this, obviously, <laughs> Long Good Friday. Okay. So um, we've got eight people who are making their second appearances, Charles Cork, Mm-hmm. George Colaris, um, Trevor Lard, um, Patty Love. Don't know any of these. Um, <laughs> Oliver Pierre, um, James Ottaway, uh, P.H. Moriarty, who played Razor in the film. Oh, yep. Uh, so he was he was also in Quadrophenia. And also a second appearance from somebody called Helen Mirren. Yeah, never amount to anything that bad. Yeah, she won't get anywhere. No, but we do have one new inductee. And it it is the the luminary that we all respect and 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 love and you know mm-hmm. surprising he's not made an appearance previous now um, in the Hall of Fame but Carl Homan. <laughs> <laughs> Quadrophenia, I know. What was the other one? <laughs> oh, he wasn't in Quadrophenia, no. He wasn't. You know, oh, no, no, he was he? in uh, that'll be the day and party party. Party party, of course. He was one of the lead characters, wasn't he? Yeah. So, um, yes, finally, oh, Carl uh, Howman. The mighty Carl Howman has been inducted into the Hall of Fame before Jack Bob Hoskins. Before yeah. Bob Hoskins again. Yeah. Um, the guy that's, well, it's not because of you. It's, my choice is a movie. Yes, don't blame me. I think Mark picked Party Party. Um, Harry Fielder. <laughs> Harry Fielder played the policeman, uncredited. Oh, right. As I say, I know he's more background characters. He's not lead characters, yeah. so... Um, but yeah, so we've got those. I mean, obviously, we as we've made reference to, there's a number of people that we know from other things that have, have made the appearances. I mean, you know, one of the most celebrated ones from this, and I think he got quite a high billing on re-releases in other countries subsequently in, in years gone by, was Piers Brosnan, who, who um, says one word in the entire film and he's only credited as as first Irishman but yeah he, he gets given third billion and sometimes on some of the posters yeah. um, this so is uh, the first credited movie appearance isn't it yeah, yeah. so um, but yeah obviously prominently in this we have um, Derek Thompson who British audiences um, will know even if they don't watch the programme they'll know him from um, Casualty God he's been in it uh, since probably the year after this movie was made as yeah well. uh, 20 odd, odd years yeah um, Paul Freeman who, who plenty of people will, will recognise from um, a multitude of, of films who um, he gets you know dies early on in this film but he's Razor's Lost Ark wasn't he Bollock, Belloc yeah, yeah they're, they're, so we, we've got him Kevin McNally as you said he, he pops up in a, a number of things we know I we saw him. him at the Globe Theatre a couple of years ago playing King Lear. So he goes from very brief bit part to, you know, Shakespeare's finest. Great, I love yeah. Kevin McNally. He's absolutely. He's a good, he's a good yeah. character actor yeah. as well. We've got um, Darrow O'Malley, who people will recognise as um, Sharp's best friend in the. Never um, watched Sharp, but he was. He's so credited as second. He was in every, every series of, of that he was in. Right. 
um, obviously. Um, we're also um, Brian Hall, who some people will recognise as the, the, the chef from, from <laughs> Faulty Towers. Towers yep. And also, blinking you miss him, a very, very young Dexter Fletcher. Guarding the car. Yeah. Guarding the car. And then, as you've said as well, there's, there's Dave King, who... Um, Dave King was more famous as a singer in the 60s yeah. and, and became an actor and did a lot of these sort of Cockney roles throughout the 80s. Eddie Constantine, the the Mafia boss, probably best known for movies that he did in the 50s, uh, sort of a lot of film noir gangster stuff, ironically, did a couple of French movies as well, didn't he, in the in the French New Wave? I think, was it Alphaville or something like that? I'm sure that was him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Is that him? Yeah, and then you've... Pretty, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, and then you've got Denzel from Only Fools and Horses, which you alluded to oh, earlier. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And again, a very young pre-EastEnders, Gillian Tailforth. Oh, Gillian Tailforth, I forgot to mention her, yeah. yeah. So, um, she's obviously more, more famous for EastEnders and her um, antics in Cars. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. Again, another famous face from long-running television. Oh, kids um, of a certain age might remember Christopher Biggins in On Safari as well, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's one to drag up. Contemporary reference memory. for the kids there. Yeah, 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 to drag from the back of your memory banks there. And there was somebody else I was going to mention. Who else was it? You've mentioned Dexter Fletcher. Ah, yeah, it was Alan Ford, can be seen briefly. Who goes on to play Bricktop in Snatch? Yet another gangster movie. So, yeah, Pierce Brosnan, famously, it's his first credited movie appearance. Bob Hoskins, prior to this, you know, I mean, it, it, it appeared in Pennies from Heaven, the TV version. Um, I remember him doing this educational thing in the 70s called, I think it was called On the Move, teaching people to read. Yeah. Um, so, this is his breakthrough performance. Helen Miram. Up to this point, she'd had a few acting roles, hadn't she? She was in that, was it Age of Consent with James Mason and a couple yeah. of other things, but it's mainly sort of a stage actress up to this point. So this is the springboard for both of their careers. And a lot of the other people didn't find success cinematically, but as we've just mentioned, you know, certainly went on to a great TV career. A lot of these people. Pierce Brosnan took a while, didn't he? Because I think it was Remington Steel before he really became a star then but then it, didn't he do the fourth protocol with michael kane a couple of years yes after he did this, yeah. didn't he yes yeah, so. yeah he, he was he was in that and because that i seem to remember it, it was some was it fourth protocol that it, him and hoskins were, definitely michael kane uh, wasn't it the fourth protocol. yeah i'm trying to remember whether that, that was the one that that Piers Brosnan and, and Bob Hoskins were actually in together because it was they, they apparently the trivia from this is that um, despite them appearing in the end scene of this, um, they were never actually there at the same time. They were shot separately. That's so right. it wasn't until they did, I think it was a fourth protocol, that um, that was actually finally they were actually they um, in the same room together. <laughs> yeah, because when you think about it, that end scene is like a shot of Bob Hoskins in the back seat of the car and then the camera's reversed to show... Pierce Brosnan appearing from the front seat. So, yeah, they probably didn't actually film that together. That's it. Yeah. So, but as I say, Bob Hoskins, I think, for a, a long part of his career was underrated. You know, when he did actually start to get the recognition he deserved, I think that was, it was too late to, for the full appreciation of that to come out, unfortunately, because of him, you know, oh. 
just going um, to click now, now, yeah, on on the filmography because I'm sure just after this we must have got things like Mona Lisa, which again was a handmade production, wasn't it? I think Mona Lisa, absolutely, yeah. He was in Brazil, I think, wasn't he? Did he appear in Brazil uh, again, handmade? You know, yeah. he's got and then, very good. You no, know, at some handmade. at some point he got enough fame to be appearing in Spice Girls Super, movie, didn't he? Yeah, and <laughs> Super Mario and um, Roger um, Rabbit. Roger Rabbit, of course, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he, you know, he, and Hook he was in Hook, wasn't he? He was played Smee, didn't he? But yeah. Mona Lisa wasn't till eighty six. So between this movie and then, he's in a couple of sort of mini series and TV series. He's he's in a version of Othello. Appeared in the Wall, the Pink Floyd movie, um, the Cotton Club, Brazil, lots of mini series. He didn't really immediately change his career then, did it? No, and it's not until, I would say, Roger Rabbit was was the, the big one. But then yeah. after that, if you look down after Roger Rabbit, there's one, two, three, there's another three or four movies before we get to Mermaids, which is in with Cher. Yeah. And then Hook the year after. You, he's one of those actors that you think has done a lot more massive movies than he actually did. If you, if, I'm, if you know what I mean, if you're looking yeah, at the same list that I'm yeah. looking at, yeah, there's a lot of stuff was, I don't even recognise there at all. Yeah, and I mean, you know, after, fair enough, after, um, we just ignore Super Mario Brothers, but yeah. um, after Hook, because Super Mario obviously was publishing, bombed, okay, it was in Nixon, yeah. but really, it, it didn't it didn't really do um, anything that I would say was, was a note um, until like twenty four seven, really. I love twenty four seven. Yeah, we've got to do that. I haven't seen that since it came out. It's on. It's on the list, despite me not really being <laughs> a, a sport a, um, person. Yeah. And um, it's 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 like we said before. We were talking previously about um, horror or musicals or whatever, and it's got to be a a, a good film in itself rather than just a good example of, of a genre and, and sports films are, are one of those that it's got to be a good film in itself rather than just a good sports film and but I, I think it's it's you know his career like you're saying it is it's patchy it's, it's, it's patchy compared yeah. to what you remember it to be you yeah. remember you know it's like remembering your childhood when you only remember you know the the, the good stuff rather than remembering the 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 bad really um this is again with his career you you remember all the highlights but um it's is the the sort of ones where he was doing a minor parts and it's not that he was bad in them it's just that some of them weren't good in themselves like super mario <laughs> um well this, let's it, try this with helen mirren because I'm, I'm i've got a funny feeling that that's going to be a similar sort of pro- progress here up to right I'm scrolling down the IMDb list up to 1980. Before this, yeah, lot of TV stuff. Okay, play for today's miniseries, Sunday night theatres. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, until Prime Suspects, was it really? When she that's the one. And again, it wasn't a movie, was it? It's a TV series. So yeah. this is 1979-1980. Prime Suspect. When was that? That's so mid 80s. No, 1989. Again, mm. how, how your memory plays tricks with you. That is incredible. Mm. 1991. So between this and Prime Suspect, let's have a little look. She was in White Nights. That was the ballet movie, wasn't it? Um, 
the Mosquito Coast. That's the Harrison Ford thing. I remember her playing well, this one. Excalibur was after this, wasn't it? Even though, well, she recorded, she filmed it after this, but it was released before, I think. What was that, mate? Sorry, Excalibur. Oh, of course, she was in Excalibur. Yeah, that was released in eighty one. So and she yeah. was in the the cook. The thief, the wife, his love, obviously, which was more arty. Yeah. Um, so what led to it? Uh, 89, yeah. yeah. So again, until Prime Suspect comes along, let's just look after that. Again, it's a lot of Prime Suspects. There's nothing major movie-wise until you get to... Come on, I can't even see what the next big one would be. Uh, Gosford Park, possibly... Another one that's on my on my list, which is a, <laughs> as a, a spoiler, but another yeah. one that's on my list of Gossip Park, and also um, the same year um, is Last Daughters, which Brilliant. also um, is where she um, doesn't she appear uh, with Bob Hoskins again. That's yeah. when they reunited. Michael Caine and um, Ray Winston, isn't it? It was filmed around here. Yeah. Some of that. Tom yeah. Courtney, yeah. yeah. And again, so again, not not patchy as such, but not as. Impressive as you remember, possibly. There's some big no, films. Absolutely, yeah. It's you know, but if it's only now since really since the sort of the damehood mm-hmm. um, coming in where she's you know got elevated in 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 that sense um, as a peerage, but also I think she's um, she's now been seen as being one of the you know elder states women of, yes. of British acting. And we're not uh, saying that and, the, you know these these are, are bad performers or. You know, we're not denigrating their ability in any way. It's just that if you were to actually look at the the filmography for the pair of them, I think patchy is probably the best word to use here. It's not as impressive as we remember. No, and I think the thing is that in some cases that they've been offered enough money to add their credibility to a film that doesn't have the themselves, and that and they've they've done. Um, they've done a, a sterling job because they can't do a bad job of you know oh, yeah. her and Bob Hoskins, yeah. but um, but the actual fact is that the the the, the piece of um, cinema or TV that they're in doesn't really warrant them and isn't up to their standard really, and that's the difficulty with it. Yeah, but, but and as we sort of mentioned earlier, this was the the springboard really for both of their careers. But looking at this, I still think it's probably their best performances, the pair of them. I think it's it's easily arguable because of um, you know I, I do like Mona Lisa and you know I do think that um, Helen Mirren you know had some great performances later on as as you say with with Gossip Park and and things the Queen and, um, and both of them in 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 Last Orders we we are remembering them you know or referencing them both for for their best and this undoubtedly I think I think. To go back to the Long Good Friday, I think with Helen Mirren, I think that it would have been very easy for that part of the gangster's girlfriend or whatever to be just insipid and and not have any point to it whatsoever and be faceless. And yeah. I think she she made the part and made the character you know be more vital. And I don't know whether they they took her on with the purpose of that or maybe they actually built um, up the part seeing what potential there was in her but either way she she you know is, is definitely a character in her right rather than it just being the woman who is attached to the gangster who could be anybody and doesn't actually play a part in in the plot or anything she's she, she's clearly got intelligence and to some extent you do wonder whether she is actually behind 
some of the stuff that's going on at one oh, point. She's yeah. one of the suspects. Well, a lot of it's down to the writing as well as her performance, mm. isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, the, it's a fully fleshed out character. It's not, as you say, somebody that's draped on Bob Hoskins' arm as a bit of eye candy as a gangster's mole. There's a lot more to her because she fully understands Harold Shand. She fully understands his background, even though she's from a completely different background. She's not stupid. And she's the perfect partner for him because she keeps him in check. Yeah, she she understands him, but she also understands the other people in the organisation as well as understanding the, the Yanks, the Americans as well, and understands, you know, like the, the city councillor as oh, well. Oh, yeah, she's she, under- got she understands the people <laughs> and therefore is able to to sort of say how the, the situation or the people need handling better and actually chip in with that and be, you know, be an advisor to him rather than just being eye candy. And I think that, part, I suppose partly maybe that is if, you, if you're somebody who is generally um, overshadowed by somebody who's such a strong character in real life, if you stood by them and other people are busy paying attention to them, you have uh, a great opportunity to, to watch people without them realise they're being watched. Um, and so perhaps that's where her understanding of, of people has come in. But it's an understanding that he doesn't have. So it's a great, great partnership in that sense. And in some ways they are partners rather than her just being, um, as you say, on his arm. Yeah. You saying, well, Bob, we were just mentioning about, you know, good writing, good script writing throughout this entire movie, which is also highlighted by superb performances by those all around. Let's jump to the ending where there is no dialogue. There is no <laughs> script direction, must have just said. Bob Hoskins sits in back of car, looks worried, right? Yeah. But there is a lot more to that looking worried. He must go through. You can see every emotion going well, through that man's brain. I did pick up on trivia for this. Okay, um, go on. This apparently... This was the first scene that was filmed. Was it? Yeah. And apparently the cameraman was sort of squeezed in the middle between the, the driver and the, the um, director. And the, the director basically just, and this is why the, the, apparently the music is quite loud at that point, mm. um, to drown out the director is basically telling Bob Hoskins the plot of the film. Oh, as far as his character is concerned, the the the, the, wow. the character arc of his of his you know within the film, so that's why Bob Hoskins looks like he's he's sort of going over everything in his mind. Yeah, um, and it dawning on him what's actually happened and and becoming resigned to it sort of thing, but going through the all the 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 catalogue of emotions, mm. um, because he's been talked through his character arc by the and director. that's and that's by the director, and that's why you know. His face goes from from fury to to um, resolution. To sort of dis- not gonna, despair. Yeah. You know, he's almost on the edge of tears, and then he and then they're sort of resigned to his fate type of thing. Yeah. Um, and apparently that's that's what they did, um, and took him you know took him silent. You know, basically him just his emotions, just listening <laughs> um, to what happens and reacting. Here, hold up, where's Victoria? and sees Helen taken away. Bob Hoskins gets whisked away. And then I show up 
in the front seat, popping up with the gun. Pierce Brosnan's, I never met him. He actually takes me off and kills me, but I never met him. Welcome to the world of film. I showed up to shoot the sequence. Bob Hoskins wasn't there. Phil Mayhew is in the back with the camera and lights. John McKenzie driving and me giving my best smile of malevolence. But I was completely ignorant. I didn't realize that it was going to be such a cinematic moment. And when For me, as an actor of 25 years of age, it was brilliant. But I'm glad I made something with my career. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking to me. I'd just still be the guy at the end of the movie. <laughs> Great way to end a movie. The music, as you mentioned as well, throughout this movie is, is a great 80s score. Um, yeah. As well as having like a fantastic ending to the movie, Bob Hoskins has the best entrance of any character in a movie. Oh, it's up there. Just him coming off well, the almost, It's almost like Saturday Night Fever, you know, strutting <laughs> along through with it, you know. Heathrow Airport, getting off Concord. Yeah. Just that look of like... This man means business. I don't know anything yeah, I about own this. this man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much walking on. I mean, it's you know for somebody who is uh, shorter and, and a little bit more um, rounder in in a way that Bob Hoskins um, is seen. Yeah. Um, for him to be able to strut along with such confidence and, and almost suave um, suaveness, and actually just be in full ownership of you know the sort of king of everything he surveys sort of thing well, um without any dialogue it, you you yeah. get the full understanding of who this man is in that 20 seconds you think yeah i know who this man is this man it means business you don't need any long drawn out explanation of his background or his history because it, it's just said there in his face in 20 seconds and so there are so many moments in this and I would advise this to anybody who is watching it, even if they've seen it before and, and they're wanting to, um, they might have missed this out before, mm-hmm. is pay particular attention to Bob Hoskins' facial expressions. Be on the phone. Yeah. With the glass. Again, doesn't say half a dozen words, but his face just says it all. Yeah, it's, it, it just conveys so much just in the eyes and the face without saying anything. And it's... Yeah. Um, it is why this performance is, you know, is easily something you can point out as being, if if not the best, definitely one of the best of, of his entire career. But I can can't argue against it being, being the best, really. Yeah, well, it is in, in my book, with as well, you know, from my history of this movie. Should we rate it? I mean, at my five star system, it's a six. <laughs> <laughs> Ten up to eleven. Um, <laughs> That's the only way I can. I, I love this film. I always have. It just resonated with me as as a, as a young teenager, and it's something that has stuck with me over the last forty years. And I never tire of it. I don't watch it every year. It's sort of like every couple of years now, and I'm still finding stuff in there that you know. I, I sat here last night. It was quite late. I put it on about midnight last night. And at no point did I pick up my phone or get distracted in any way. And I just watched it as a late night Saturday night movie and just absolutely loved it once again. 
about yourself, your 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 writing system, mate. Right? Yes, there might be some people who are completely turned off by the idea of this, but I still think we should um, give it a go. Mm. Um, it might be more visceral than some people want, which is not their, their thing, but this is absolutely a classic of British cinema and it is so incredibly well done. I think that this is something that people should be going out of their way for and, and in some respects, I do think that because of what we were saying before about the, the detail in, in the expressions, that it would benefit from being seen on a bigger screen, even mm. if you want a cinema, just, you know, uh, rather than watching it on a, a laptop, watching it on a, a big telly screen, at least. This is one that I think not just is, is key to the history of British cinema and the, the, the career particularly of, of two luminaries from oh, yes. uh, British cinema, but in itself is an incredibly well-told story and an incredibly well-performance story. And the way you know where it's shot is is a good example as well. I think there are uh, there are a lot of people out there who have subsequently, I think, taken this as a springboard for their own um, imaginations as far as filmmaking, the, you know, directors and such like. And some of them have diluted elements from this and think that they're they're managing to replicate the the greatness of this when they're just taking one element of it mm-hmm. um, and this is where people need to go back to because as i say this is kind of the funnel point on british gangster films and american gangster films and then the modern era of gangster films over in the states and over here becoming a bit more one trick pony this is this is the funnel point between the two where it just shows that this is this is peak gangster film in a way and, and so I, I do think anybody who has any interest in film, but also anybody who's particularly interested in that genre, this is a must because this is you know, pretty much one of the, the best examples of it. Yeah, where, um, where the groundwork was laid a couple of years earlier with the Sweeney movies. Yeah. This has just taken that and perfected it in every single possible way. I think it's quite an important part of British film history. It's a marvellous snapshot of Thatcher's early reign of, of a Britain that was on the verge of something completely different, something we hadn't seen before. Um, from my sort of London point of view, my eyes, I, I love looking at that dock, dock scenes and things like that because my father worked on the docks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an important. I think it's an important movie in just the careers of, as you say, of Bob Hoskins, of Helen Mirren, future stars that will go on to really, really successful TV careers. Certainly influence people like Guy Ritchie, and whether you like the Guy Ritchie movies or not, Long Good Friday is definitely part of everything that he's ever made. I cannot recommend it highly enough, but that is my own personal opinion. I agree with you that it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. They may be put off by the fact that, oh, it's a British gangster film. Give it a go for the point of view that you're seeing two of Britain's finest actors sort of at the start of their careers before they go into something massive but I think it's their best performances. This is a peak in many ways for a number of people's careers virtually any of the the actors and actresses in it yeah. I think this is you know it's, it's peak as in um, the, the genre of film and, and just as a great film in itself about the, the genre side of things I also think you know director wise I think this is the peak of the career for the director as well, yeah, really. probably was. I don't think um, he made much after all before this, did he? So. No, no. You know, unfortunately, this um, this is his, his masterpiece and 
not to be replicated. I mean, you know, not to completely denigrate his career, but unfortunately um, for him, he never achieved a, a more consistent highs um, to challenge anything like this. Credit to him, he um, he produced this. Yeah. I mean, I know he did did some other, he did some other Robert Carlyle, didn't he? Did TV he? series. Oh right, okay. Some gangstery thing up in Scotland. Oh, right. Uh, like a five-part series or something of us seem to recall. Well, but um, but just, it, then, which don't... was you know very credible and, and well done. But it, it didn't get, it didn't reach the heights of this. And I think this is because all the elements together were were there for this. And it, this was the peak for uh, any number of people. So it is definitely one that people need to to make the effort to see. Well, just having this on your CV is good enough in my book, mate, to be honest. You know, yeah, just, just absolutely, to, yeah. Just to say you had this. With a bit of luck, this episode is going to be broadcast or released on Good Friday itself. Do yourself a favour after listening to this episode. We haven't given anything away. There's no spoilers throughout this episode. Get yourself a copy of it. Go and have a watch of it over Easter weekend. I think you'll be in for a treat. I think you'll be mildly surprised at just how good it actually is. Shall we take a little break and we'll be back with what we're watching next time? Yeah. Okay, Stephen, next time, it's one of those rare occasions where we've actually recorded our next episode before we've recorded this one, because obviously we're slotting this into the Easter weekend, and it's one of those marvellous episodes where we have a guest on board, and we've invited back Mark from the Good, the Bad and the Odd podcast, Yeah, and it was his selection. Oh, we had a great, great fun recording this one, didn't we? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's... Thankfully, um, you know, he can bring the hint of professionalism that we um, we, we mention at the beginning <laughs> of the, the show. Uh, his enthusiasm for, for the films that he brings is, is, is great to, um, I think the phrase you used is um, just turn the key and let him go. Wind him up uh, and let him go, and he did. Yeah. He certainly does in the next episode. We're going back to 1961. It is a favourite of both of ours, which is fortunate yeah. as well. So the three of us do sort of gush over this one a little bit it's it's the great tony hancock in the rebel which if you're the same sort of age as Stephen and myself you will know this movie it was always on it was always a matinee movie at the weekends and we went back to it having not seen it for a couple of years each i think mate we'd, we'd yeah. seen it for a little while and it still holds up excellent galton and simpson script Lots of famous guest stars in there, like John Lemessurier and people like that. I think George Sanders is in it. 
that's our next episode. The Rebel, that should be with you next week. Just as a little bit of a heads up, we've got from Russia with Love after that and a prize of arms, which is the one we do with Anthony from the Glass Onion John Lennon podcast as well. Up after that, we're not going to let you know because obviously we sort of reveal at the end of the episodes where we're going. Stephen, it's been great talking to you about one of my favourite movies today, mate. No, I've enjoyed it and obviously the film is a great film anyway. Anytime to be able to tell people how good it is is yeah. is, is, is good. But um, to be able to discuss it with you with your obvious enthusiasm for it, it, it helps because you know occasionally you get a film that is this great and you try to be enthusiastic with people who don't really know it so well or don't know it all and they think that you, you're mad. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so being able to discuss it with somebody else like yourself who's also mad yes, um, no, means yes. that um, it, it makes things easier for me to be able to go, no, no it's not just me. So, uh, um, as, as It is very popular itself. It's not like we're the only ones that do find it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but but um, some people are missing out on that. Oh, I so, think so. And as we are rapidly running out of... British Easter theme movies. We may we may end up reviewing this again next year. Who's who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a funny feeling it's going to be Watership Down next year. <laughs> I'm getting that feeling myself. Because yeah. to be honest, didn't we decide last Easter that we were going to do this one this year? We'd already yeah. we'd already selected the Easter episode a year ago, haven't we? Yeah, and you know, I was thinking, oh well, within the year we'll have we'll already have in our minds what's going to be the one that's the following year. But we've got to that point now, and we haven't <laughs> struggling. We might make a decision off air once we've finished recording here. Stephen, thanks for being here. Have a have a happy Easter, my friend. You as well. Enjoy your chocolate eggs. <laughs> Take care. See you later. Take care. Look, Harold, I've been here all night. Look, what's up? Someone's been playing Guy Fawkes and my roles and a touch of Jaws in the Lido. That's what's up, mate. What about Eric? Eric? You heard. Well, he doesn't like Colin. I mean, queers get right up his hooter, you know? After what happened this morning, you'd have to find his hooter to get up it. Hey, something up with him, then? Well, let's put it this way. Apart from his arsehole being about 50 yards away from his brains and the choir boys playing Hunt the Fimble for the rest of him, he ain't too happy. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Come on, Good luck. Thank you.
keeping the British hand up, sir.